Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. That's merciful. Come on, let's worship a good. We can't sing about him and not worship a good God. And man, you may be seated. As the, as the worship team was singing, specifically the song before this one, thinking about Lamentations 3:23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness. You serve a faithful God, a good God, a God that's been kind and um, a God that's been, been, been just real, real good, even though we don't deserve it. We, we, we haven't done anything to earn his favor or earn his love or earn his goodness, but yet he is, he's always good to us. Look at somebody and just say, I'm happy to be in the house of God today. Come on, tell somebody else it's cold outside so you know I'm real happy to be in the warm house of the Lord. Make no mistake about it, our aim, our purpose, and our goal. If I can just get a little bit more in the monitors, our aim, our purpose, and our goal uh, is to worship Jesus. And we try to do that through song, and uh, we try to celebrate Jesus through fellowship, and we do it through communion, which we'll do on the way out. Uh, and of course, we do so through the preaching of the Word of God. So won't you grab your Bibles? I'm excited about it. Grab your Bibles and get to Acts chapter chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to hang out. As you guys are turning there, we are coming off of a week of fasting, and it's been a fruitful week. How, how many of you guys had a just a real encouraging week of fasting? I ain't say everything was perfect, but how many had an encouraging week of just fasting and getting it in with the Lord. Um, I personally have just felt encouraged and I've felt blessed since 6 a.m. prayer we had on Monday morning in this room where people on their knees in here at six o'clock and people were sitting up and we were praying to the Lord and we prayed for an hour and then people left out and went to work and went back home and went on with life. But we started our week by giving it to the Lord before the sun even came up. We were praying and it, it was just a good time. And then Tuesday, Pastor Timmy and Io, can we thank God for Pastor Timmy? He's looking fresh today, too. Not that he don't always look fresh. Today, he has a special anointing on him today. Um, he just looks smooth today. But, yeah, grateful for Pastor Timmy and Lady Io. And uh, Wednesday, we were in here, and we did Bible study, prayer and Bible study. Prayed for a bit, and then we got into the Word of God. We were in Isaiah uh, 58, and just talking about how the Lord is just such a a healer. As you guys were singing the song where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We were talking about what is it, what does it mean to be free? We were talking about what it means to be healed. We prayed for those who um, who had any type of illness or any type of sickness or any type of bad diagnosis. We prayed that cancer would just go. Prayed that tumors would dry up and that wounds would open and and we, we just pray that blood would be uh, fresh and that our organs would operate as God has ordained them to operate and um, there's just such a connection between fasting and healing and, and fasting and, and freedom. And so uh, that's what we did on Wednesday. Thursday, we did small clusters around the, around the city, your discipleship groups. We got to pray and uh, connect with uh, our friends uh, that were fasting with us. And then Friday, Ty and I took over the church's IG account and brought you all on for testimonies. Man, I don't know about you all, but I was so encouraged by Friday just hearing the stories people in coffee shops that have been fasting, so they're giving out books. And I remember last week we gave you all the giving, um, the, the giving, and you get, people were giving them out. We heard stories of somebody's debt was canceled. $44,000 worth of debt canceled, gone, in an email. 
Somebody said, I need that. <laughs> it was uh, it's just a good week of fasting. I, I mean, I, listen, God certainly isn't obligated or held hostage because of your fast. But fasting does something. And don't ever be so theologically deep that we forget that we serve a God of miracles. God that knows how to open doors and, and close doors. And so, I, man, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm encouraged. Next week is going to be a good week. Um, in terms of uh, next Sunday, make sure you're here. Invite somebody with you. We're doing Vision Sunday. Uh, those of you who have not been a part of our church, and uh, we do Vision Sunday every January. It just kind of sets the pace for the year. We get to look back at last year and some areas that we could have done better, and then we look forward at areas that um, we're looking to grow in in the next year. And I, I got some exciting, fresh things to lay before you. Uh, so hope you guys are here next week. All right, let's get into it. Acts chapter 8. I'm sorry. If you can give me just a little bit more in these monitors, it really will help. Uh, pick me up in verse 1. And Saul approved of the execution, of his execution, his meaning Stephen. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Somebody say Judea. Come on, y'all say it and say Samaria. Except the apostles, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women uh, and committed them to prison. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You should please make note of verse 4. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said. And Philip, when he heard, when he heard him and saw the signs he did, that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was so much joy or much, jo much joy in that city. I'm going to preach today from the topic entitled, How God Uses Evil for Good. God uses evil for good. How many know that our, our God knows how to take evil and just like turn it around? I feel like Ty Tribbett, he turned it. Just, he, knows how to, he knows how to turn evil all the way around. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful for your word. And we sit before your word today with hungry hearts. I know we probably got stuff to do today, but Lord, we slow down in this moment to hear from you. So, Father, we pray that you would speak a specific word. I just think about how many people I talk to after service that say, man, you, you, were, you were speaking to me, and I'm like, I don't even know. Like, God, but you know. You, you know our situations, and one word could impact 10, 15 of us in 10 different, in 15 different ways. So, Father, would you do something miraculous with this word today? Use my scraps, my time of preparation. Would you use it for your glory and for your honor? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How God uses evil for good. Let me start the sermon by simply saying um, really just a statement that I love preaching. I really do. I, I love the exegesis. I love the preparation. I love the historical work and the grammatical work. I like the delivery portion of it better. Uh, where I get to stand up before you and yell for 40 minutes and you guys just sit there and take notes. That just does something good to my heart. I, I, love, I love preaching. Uh, but let me be honest with you that preaching is only 25% of my responsibilities as a pastor. I did not 
commit myself to this call of, of pastoring simply because of preaching, it's only 25% of what I do. And unfortunately, you only get to see that 25% and some of you fortunately. But the reality is 75% of the time I am doing other things. I am overseeing the day-to-day operations of the church. Uh, I am casting vision. I am caring for our staff. We have a very uh, developing and growing staff. I'm managing the resources and the finances of the church, not just the general budget, but there's campaign money and there's a project that we're working on downstairs and uh, soon to be working on a project up here. Uh, There are many different aspects of what I do as a pastor, but I'll be honest that one of the most time-consuming aspects of what I do is counseling. I love it. I'm, I'm not against it. I'm not complaining to you. This is not a therapy session. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not upset about it. I love counseling, but it is very time-consuming. Whenever I am counseling, I'm typically met with a lot of questions. I have people in my office on a weekly basis or uh, doing some Zoom uh, counseling on a weekly basis, and uh, whenever I am meeting with people, I usually get bombarded with a bunch of questions. They're always good questions. I get theological questions. You know, what is the hypostatic union? What is penal substitutionary atonement? Just deep questions. What, what, do, what do we do with, 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 with salvation? And what is limited atonement? Like we get all of these deep questions, but then we also get some very practical life questions. Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? You know, it's, it's almost as though people think that pastors are experts on every part of life. And I'll just be honest with you. There are some questions I'm like, I, I don't know. I was talking to my son last night. We were in the kitchen and um, I was joking around with him. and I was like, the Lord told me this about you. And he was like, you know, my friends actually think you have like that type of power. I'm like, bro, I have no more special access to the throne of grace than everybody that's in this room. Uh, but for some reason, people ask those type of questions and I also get questions about mission. What is, what is the mission of the church? What should I be doing? What, what mission should I be on? What about my calling? And, and can you help me develop my calling? And all of those type of questions. But by far, one of the top questions I get, uh, probably on a monthly basis, is why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever asked that question or maybe you pondered it? Why do bad things happen to good people. There's, there's really two or three problems with that question. The, fr- the first problem is the assumption that's underneath the question that we're good people. We're not, we're not good people according to the scriptures. We're made good because of Jesus, but we don't enter into this world and automatically become good people. So, so the question already has a problem to it that is the assumption that we're good people. But there's also another problem with the question and that there's a lack of expectancy for bad things happening. What do I mean by that? Unfortunately, I think church has scarred many of us to think that if you meet Jesus, nothing bad ever happens. And the reality is far from the truth. Job 14.1 says it this way, man who is born of a woman is a few days and the few days are full of trouble. He didn't mince words there. Life is hard. Somebody look at somebody else and just say life is hard. It's not easy. I think the other problem with the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, The reality is that that only happened one time, and that's on the cross of Jesus Christ, where a good person by the name of Jesus, not just good, a perfect person by the name of Jesus, got up on a cross and took all of our sins. That is what you call something bad happening to somebody good. So it really only happened one time. And so there should be some level of expectancy 
that you are going through life and life will be hard. If there's some expectancy that you should have that you'll go through and you'll be minding your own business and a trial will come up out of nowhere. There's a difference between persecution and hardship. Let me just be very clear. I don't think I would venture to say 99% of this room never experienced persecution. And what we, what we read in the text is persecution. Christians are being dragged out of their homes and put in prison simply because of their faith. We, we read at the top of this that Saul approved of the execution of Stephen. This is, this is a execution. This is somebody that was martyred or killed for their faith. I don't know if you know this on average. 13 Christians are killed every day simply for following Jesus. Do you, did you do the math on that? That's 400 Christians a month. I'm not talking in the early church. I'm talking now. Right now, your brothers and sisters in different parts of the world are being killed. And I would venture out to say that I think these numbers are actually probably lower than they actually are. I mean, they're, they're, there's closed countries like North Korea and Afghanistan. There's uh, conflict-ridden places like Somalia or Libya. I do not think a concentration camp in North Korea is reporting the number of Christians that they killed. I don't. I don't think some Muslim, Muslim tribe in Somalia is reporting the number of Christians that were killed. So I think we should just take this in that our brothers and sisters are being persecuted. So, so none of us in this room can really say we're being persecuted, but I do believe hardship is real. I do believe all of us have tasted some level of evil. I think all of us have gone through something. Anybody can say, I, I've, I've gone through some things in my life. I just want to see the hands and see if I'm preaching to people. Okay, a few people. Most of the room will say something, something bad has happened to me at some point. Here's my thesis today. That no matter what the evil is, God takes every season of our life and uses it for your good and for his glory. Can I get us there? That that's where I want to get us today. I want to pass through the room that God can take whatever the hardship is that you had, that you're currently dealing with, or that you will deal with in the future, and he knows how to turn it around and cause it to be for your good and for his glory. I want to give us some context here. We're in Acts chapter 8, but if you're going to understand Acts 8, you have to understand Acts 1. In Acts 1, Jesus has already died. Before he ascends into heaven, he uh, gathers all the disciples and he gives them a, a promise. He tells them about the Holy Spirit. And so they're waiting in Jerusalem and waiting in the upper room and waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall. And he says, this is what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Watch this. In Jerusalem, somebody say Jerusalem. And Judea, somebody say Judea. In Samaria, somebody say Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Don't miss what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1. He says, I know y'all are in Jerusalem, and this thing starts here. This is ground, ground zero for the spreading of the gospel, but it's going to move from Jerusalem to, to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And uh, th this is a very clear call. Jesus is like, man, my gospel has to leave Jerusalem and spread. I I'll say it this way. If you don't get Acts chapter 8, you don't get to be a Christian in this room today. We, we, we get the gospel has spread. The gospel has moved beyond just being in Jerusalem and has hit us here in 2022 here on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. But here's the crazy thing. Jesus says in Acts 1, y'all got to get out. Y'all got to spread. Y'all got to move. But guess what? Seven chapters, they stayed in Jerusalem. 
Jesus said it got to go to Judea. Don't miss this. Jesus says it got to go to Samaria. And it has to go to the ends of the earth. But for seven chapters, Miguel, they hung out. Chapter one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All of the first seven chapters of, of Acts, they are hanging out in Jerusalem. It's almost as though Jesus said, I need y'all to get out. And they said, nah, we're not going to do that. It's almost as though they hear Jesus' words and they're like, nah, we're, we're, we're not going to move from this place that we're at. And so Jesus is like, okay, if you're not going to move, I'm going to have to help you move. Don't you miss this. If you're not going to move from Jerusalem, I'm going to help you move. But how Jesus helps them to move, don't miss this, it's in unconventional ways. He does so through evil, through pain. Not that he's evil, not that he's causing pain, but he allows persecution and hardship. Watch this to make sure Acts 1 actually happens. He says, I need you to get out of here. But they're hanging out there. So he says, oh, you want to hang out in Jerusalem? Let me sprinkle a little persecution in and that will cause you to scatter. Because when you scatter, then my word will be able to go other places. Won't you pick me up in verse 1? The air is dry today. Verse 1, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the region. This is not, I love where they're scattered, to Judea and to Samaria. Except the apostles, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let me lift back up the first part. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. Don't miss this. Stephen in just any old body. Stephen is a pillar in the early church. Stephen is a powerful, miraculous uh, has some great knowledge of the Old Testament and was a phenomenal communicator, a phenomenal preacher of the word of God. Obviously, he had character and he had integrity because when they chose seven deacons in Acts chapter six, he was one of the seven that was chosen. And so you would think that if anybody was exempt from hardship and go through, it would be the one with impeccable character. You, you would think if anybody was exempt from being executed, it would be the one that was actually faithful to the Lord. But we just saw at the top of this chapter that Saul approves of, of Stephen's execution, not just execution, but if you read the previous chapter, he was executed by stoning. I don't know why. I just feel like that's a, that's a bad way to go out. Behead me. Like, take me out quick. But you're going to sit me in the middle of a spot and throw rocks at me until I die. That is a horrible way to die. And can I go deeper with this idea of, Saul, of Stephen being impeccable with his character and integrity and still hardship found him? Let me, let me go a little bit deeper. The Bible says in, 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 the, in the previous chapter that when uh, Stephen is being stoned, he looks up into heaven. What he sees in heaven messes me up. What he sees in heaven is, it says, behold, I see the heavens open. This is what Stephen says. And the son of man, is standing at the right hand of God. So not only do I have good character and I should be exempt from go through, but you're making me go through and I'm watching you watch me be stoned. Don't miss this. I am sitting here and I see God the Father watching. I see Jesus the Son standing and watching. Why are you watching and you could do something about it? Why are you allowing evil when you can do something about it? 
See, I want to help somebody today because I know how we are. We be like, oh, I'm faithful. I shouldn't be going through. I've been good. I shouldn't be going through. Pastor B, I fasted this week. Why am I going through? I ain't had sex. You know I wanted to. I, I shouldn't be going through. I shouldn't be dealing with this. Anybody ever have those thoughts? When you get a little bit of entitlement, you feel like, why am I going through? I'm convinced that many Christians don't have a healthy biblical theology of suffering. We don't have a good mindset for what it means to actually go through and go through and know that God is good. I ain't questioning his goodness when I go through. I ain't questioning his, his commitment to me when I'm going through. But why do we get in those places? And I don't want to minimize what you're going through. Some of y'all are going through some deep stuff. You're going through serious hardships. But I really want to help us to understand, yes, God could stop it. But if he didn't stop it, what is he doing with it? Why, are, why is he allowing it? This is not the church that you can come to, and, and, and I'm one of the pastors, or, or Pastor Timmy, one of the pastors, is going to say, hey, come to Jesus, and you won't go through. It's actually the opposite in this text. You come to Jesus, and that's what brought on persecution. Because Stephen would be alive if he never trusted in Jesus. But he was stoned because of his professed faith in Jesus. Why do you allow your hardship to be on people who are faithful to you, I think we need a better theology. You personally in your life need a better theology of suffering. We, we need a better theology of go through. Every time you go through, it ain't the devil. In the text, Jesus sprinkled in some persecution. Jesus sprinkled in the hardship. Jesus allowed, and so I don't know who it is in this room, but somebody got a bad diagnosis and you're sitting there going, God ain't with this. What if he is? Somebody that's in this room, I didn't want to preach this today. Let let me just promise you, Diana, this was not the sermon I wanted to preach because, you know, these type of sermons do one or two things. This is like a space maker. You know what a space maker sermon is? Where you preach a sermon and then you don't come back because you're like, I'm not not with that. But, But also, whenever you preach sermons like this, I'm always worried that God is preparing us for something. I'm like, God, I don't, I'm gonna be honest, I don't want, that was my prayer, God, I don't want to preach this because I don't want to go through but, but what I'm saying is, God, I don't want to be perfected. What I'm saying is, God, I don't want you to get the glory. Did you read the last part of this chapter? So there was so much joy in the city of Samaria, but you can't get to the joy in the city until you get to the persecution in verse 1. Somebody in this room got sickness right now that you're dealing with. You're dealing with the death of a loved one. You got financial hardships and you're sitting there going, scratching your head going, why me? And God is like, why not you? We need a better theology for suffering. Because when you have a better theology for suffering, when you go through, you don't run from him, you run to him. When you go through, you know how many people be like, I lost my father. I don't trust God no more. And I'm like, yo, yo, don't run from him. Run to him. So the text here. It says that Saul approves of Stephen's execution. We live in a, in, 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 in a simple world and there's sin in us. Please hear me. If you hear nothing else, expect hardship. Let me put Bible there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Not they might be. Not there's a possibility. But if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, the text just says you're going to go through. You're going to have hardship. Verse 1 says, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution, and there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all of the region of Judea 
and Samaria. Jump down to verse 4. Watch verse 4. And those that were scattered went about preaching the word. Can, can y'all just go on this trip with me real quick? Stephen, Stephen's death was the catalyst to the storm of persecution. Persecution caused the believers to scatter. Scattering caused the gospel to be preached in places that it would have not been preached had they not gone through persecution. Can I go? If you're taking notes, take this journey with me. Stephen's death was the catalyst for the storm of persecution. Persecution caused the believers to scatter. Scattering caused the gospel to be preached in places it would not have been preached if there was no persecution. God used hardship in the church to spread the gospel. Y'all remember Acts chapter 1 when I said God's like, oh, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Well, I got to get you to, uh, to Judea and Samaria, so what am I going to do? You would think he would just audibly say, hey, boys, why y'all still there? Go to Judea. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to send hardship because it's going to be for your good, the advancement of the gospel, and it's going to bring me glory. Preach, B. I just, I'm preaching to myself right now. Because sometimes I go through hardship and I'm sitting there going, God, I don't understand it. But I'm telling you, hardship is always appreciated when you look back in retrospect, when you can look back and say, oh, God, you was good in it all the time. It don't feel good while you're in it, though. Immature Christians ask the question when they're going through, God, why me? But maturing Christians will ask the question, God, what are you doing with this? God, what glory do you want to get out of it? Acts chapter 8, you would think that the faith was, was going to be stamped out of, uh, out of uh, Jerusalem. You would think that the persecution would stop the early church. You got to remember, this is the beginning of the church. This is the, this is the start. Acts is the start of the church. You would think that persecution would wipe out Christianity, but it's never. Persecution has never been a good tool to stomp Christianity. In fact, the opposite. Hardship fueled it. Hardship advanced it. Hardship helped the church to keep growing. Many times we often look down at persecution, but it's the one thing in the book of Acts over and over and over again that God uses to make sure that the gospel continues to spread. It's like that, um, you know, those movies on the outbreak movie where, you know, there's a, there's a spread, uh, a virus that's spreading, kind of like the pandemic. It's always ground zero. Right. You, you, you have a pinpoint and, and all the scientists and the, and the politicians are all in a room and they're trying to figure out how to stop it. And there's one guy that's smart. He has the remote and, and, and they're looking at the screen and he pinpoints. He he puts a dot on one spot and then he presses it and shows you two hours later. And then he presses it and you show three hours later and eight hours later. And then finally, 24 hours, 48 hours later, it, the whole map is read. That is what we get in Acts chapter eight. It starts in Jerusalem, but then it spreads to Judea. Then it spreads to Samaria. And you and I are sitting in this room because Stephen was stoned. I mean, that messes me up. That messes me up when I understand how God uses persecution and it never stopped the early church. And I want to encourage you, it will not stop you. Hardship will not stop you. It will not take you out. There's a, um, a story of, a, 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 of during the early 1900s, the Soviet Union, this is a true story, Soviet Union decided that they wanted to single-handedly stomp out all of Christianity. 
in Russia. And so what they did was they created a group called the League of Militant Godless or the League of Militant Atheists. And their one goal was to persecute Christians so that they would stop professing faith in Jesus. And as they continued to, and this is 1900s, as they continued to try to stomp out all of Christianity, they just grew. And, and this is what the, the leader of the League of Militant Godless or the League of Militant Atheists said. This is a, a direct quote. Christianity is like a nail. The harder you strike it, the deeper it goes. Because persecution has never stopped it. It's only advanced it. And I just want to say the same thing I think for you. I think hardship will not stop you. It will only advance you to grow in Jesus. It will only advance your dependency on Jesus. Because what I love about Jesus is Jesus always promises. He never says you'll never go through, but he always promises to be with us through it. He always promises that. Remember in, in Psalm 23 where David says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The end of that says, because you are with me. He doesn't say you're going to, I'm going to be with you at the end. When you come out of the valley, I'll be on the other end. What a great promise that will be. He doesn't say that. He says, while you're in the valley, I'm with you. Can I give you another verse? Psalm 139, here's what the scripture says. David says, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depth, you're there. He's with us in the highs. He's with us in the lows. He's with you in good seasons. He's with you in bad seasons. He's with you in successful seasons, and he's with you in unsuccessful seasons. He's with you when everything is peachy keen, and he's with you when everything is going crazy. You want to look at somebody and say, God don't ever leave us. Oh, y'all didn't say it like you mean it. Say, God don't ever leave us. He's always with us in every season that we're in. And so the text here says, look, hardship is what, what, what scattered them. And what scattered them allowed them to go preach the gospel in the areas that Jesus already told them to, that they were disobedient. But now they're doing it because Jesus had to put a little fire under the disciples, a little fire under the church. Can I take you th through this idea of evil always being turned around for good? Look at the cross. Who would have thought that the persecution of an innocent man named Jesus would, is what would bring you liberty? Who would have thought that God would use a cross which was only reserved for the worst criminals at the time to be what gives you access to a holy God? Who would have thought that? And the only reason, reason that's made possible is because Ty Trivia said God turns it. He, he knows how to turn this thing around. And I, just, I feel somebody getting encouraged. I feel somebody right now feeling like you're, you're going through something and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. The light is the scriptures. It shows us that God always turns this thing around. So the Bible says that Jesus told them to go out. They didn't go out. He sends persecution. The persecution sends them exactly where he told them, Judea and Samaria. Now, here's what I love. When Philip gets to Samaria, what happens? Persecution's happening. Philip runs all the way to Samaria. And look what happens. Verse 5. Y'all with me? Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many 
Uh, and many uh, who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was so much joy in that city. Don't miss this. Because of persecution, Philip ends up in Samaria. He ends up in Samaria. and He's not sitting there twiddling his thumbs. He begins to preach the gospel. He preaches the gospel and there's joy in the city. That's my hope for Epiphany Church. I'm just telling you now, my hope is not for us just to get in here and gather and thank God for the worship team and thank God for the band. Can we give them some love? I mean, every week they just like always on it. My hope is not for us to get in here with these lights and look at them. My hope is that you would get in here, get fueled up, get out and get joy in the city. The text says in verse number eight, so there was so much joy in the city. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. The gospel is flourishing. There's joy in the city, but there's only joy in the city because of persecution. In verse one, I was talking to Ty yesterday and Ty was saying, man, like, you know, one of my prayers this week is that God would let our church be a light, that, that, we, that we would be one of the churches that are able, not the only church, that's arrogant, one of the churches in the area that is bringing much joy to the city. Samaria is rocked right now. And they're rocked because the gospel finally reached Samaria, but it only reached Samaria because God turned evil into good. Physical miracles are happening. Can I go deeper? The, the fear, physical miracles, you, you would think that, you know, the text literally says the paralyzed and the lame are walking. That's a crazy miracle. See, we, don't, we read stuff like that and we expect it. But think about somebody who is not able to walk. Think about the, mool, the, the man at the pool of Bethesda was there for 38 years, not able to walk. The Bible says that Jesus told him to get up like he was just sitting there for five minutes. The miracles in the text is so deep. But that's not the greatest miracle in the text. A lame man that is lame but doesn't profess faith in Jesus will only die and go to hell. That's not the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle in the text is not physical healings. Please don't read the text and always just be in awe of the fact that Jesus had power over death and, and, and sickness. Like, praise God for those things. But Lazarus died again. That beautiful miracle He's dead. But let me tell you what brings you real lasting joy. When the greatest miracle in the text is the people in Samaria that are getting saved. Because when they get saved, they'll get to heaven and there is no more sickness. There are no lame people in heaven. There are no hospitals. There are no therapists. We don't have anxiety in heaven. We get to sit around the throne of, of God's throne and worship Jesus with every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And we get to worship with people that we don't even know and we'll do it all day, er day. That's joy. That that's the greatest miracle in the text. God turns evil into good. I don't want to downplay your hardship, but I promise you, God is using it. Somebody right now is thinking. They're thinking about that hardship. And they're going, Pastor B, I'm feeling when I'm almost there. But you don't know what I'm going through. You're right. But God knows. And if he's able to turn people getting dragged out of their homes and sent to prison. We don't know how long they were in prison. People are being uh, executed for their faith. If he's able to turn that thing around for your good. And for his glory, he can do something with the death around you. He can do something with the bad diagnosis. He can do something with the sickness in your body that you're feeling right now. He can do something with the hardship. He can do something with the financial hardship. God can turn it around. Why? Because he specializes in it. I'm reading a text that shows me he does that. 
You know, on Wednesday, we prayed for people that were professing that they had some type of health issues or they felt something or they, they had a bad diagnosis. Altar was full, full of people. And I, I, I still believe that God is going to heal each and every one of them. You know, we pray safe. God, just shrink the tumor a little bit. No, God, take that thing away. God, let me just be healthy enough just to, no, no, take that sickness away. Whatever the hardship is you're dealing with right now, God's turning it. Play something soft, Josh. I don't know who it is in this room that needs a perspective change and needs a deeper theology of suffering. But today I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because I, I, I know how hard it is. It's not easy and you're going through and... You know, you're looking at everybody else around you not going through. That's really the worst. When whatever you're dealing with, somebody else is finding joy in the same area. That's hard. But today I want to pray for you, where you head out in your day. Come on, let's play something, Josh. Can you do me a favor? If if that's you, we we don't have a lot of time. We got a second service. It's 11 o'clock and I'm supposed to be done. If that's you, if you would say, I'm dealing with a hardship today. And I really need God to turn it. Would you do me a favor? Would you just come down to the altar so we can pray together? If that's you, thank you for coming. If you, if you would say, that's me. I'm dealing with something. Sickness or, or doubt. Or, or just go through. Who is it that needs that perspective change? You need God to work. I see you coming. Thank you all for coming brother came up with his Bible. I love it. There's somebody else that's sitting on it and they're going, ah, it's not that bad, so I'm not going to come. Now, would you come today so we can pray together? Ain't nothing deep going on. We're just praying. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Come on, I see volunteers coming. Y'all move on down, y'all. Come on down here. Father, I want to pray for each and every individual on this altar. Help them to realize that what they're going through is not abnormal. You said in 2 Timothy that those that want to live a godly life in you will be persecuted. We will go through. We will have hardship. We don't like it. We don't want it. But Father, you do something with it. And would you help us to get to the place where we can go through and say you're with us and you're good. And we can get out of it and build a testimony and tell somebody else, God was with me in this. I know you're going through what I went through, but God met me and he'll meet you in it. Father, build testimonies on this altar. Do a miracle on this altar. We're not always going through because the devil is riding us. Sometimes you're on us and you're trying to accomplish something. Father, would you reveal that to them? Would you help them to see whatever it is that they're going through, that, you're, that, that you have purpose? There's purpose in that pain. There's purpose in it. Father, we don't get the joy that's in verse 8 unless we deal with the pain of verse 1. And somebody on this altar right now is dealing with the pain of verse 1. But Father, help them to understand that you're not only with them, but you've experienced it on your cross. You know what pain is. You know what persecution is. You know what hardship is. So we do not have a father or great high priest that can't empathize with us. You empathize because you did. And so, Father, would you fill them up? Would you encourage their hearts today? 
Would you comfort them? You tell us that you are near to the brokenhearted and those that are crushed in spirit. Would you help them to realize that you are near to them right now? That you are with them right now? So Father, we look forward to the testimony. We look forward to hearing how you turn evil into good because you never allow evil just to remain evil. You always turn that thing for your glory and for their good. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you. I need you on the altar to say, we trust you. We trust you in the good. We trust you in the bad. We trust you and we depend fully on you to bring us through this thing for your glory and for our good. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated and go back with confidence. Go back knowing Jesus is with you. We're going to worship and those of you who are home right now and you went to the virtual altar, God is with you as well. And God will meet you today. Let's worship together, y'all.